Thank you, Hans. And thank you to everyone who's uh, contributed this morning. It's, uh, it's good to be part of a body. We have people with different gifts and those who've prayed, those who've sung, all of you sung there in your seats. It's, uh, it's wonderful to be together as God's people. And uh, I'm encouraged by that, as I hope you are too. Let's just open in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. Open our hearts today. Help us to understand, grow us and, uh, and change us and make us more like our King, the Lord Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Okay, well, um, Psalm 20. So we've been working through the Psalms and uh, we're up to Psalm 20. And um, I just preach occasionally and uh, it's, it's great that we have lots of different people who stand up here and, and bring God's word. Um, and I've already got the benefit out of, out of this because I've done, uh, put in uh, significant work and effort and hopefully um, all of you will be encouraged as well as we go through this this morning. So, Psalm 20, we see there it's a a prayer written by David, David the King of Israel. That's who wrote it. And uh, and who's the object of the prayer? If you look through there, you you find that word you pops up a lot. So, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. And may the name of God of Jacob protect you. Uh, May he send you help. May he remember your offerings. May he grant you the desires of your heart. If maybe I'm a little bit slow, but when I first read through this, I, I just picture myself there. This is something, you know, I'm the you. And maybe it's uh, just part of my own, uh, you know, inward looking. And but we probably all do that a little bit. Um, and there's not anything necessarily wrong with that. We can probably read a lot of this for ourselves. Uh, but it's it's not the primary purpose of this psalm. We've got to recognise its context. Um, we've got to be careful with any scripture to put ourselves in the centre of it. Um, of course, we are part of God's big story from beginning to end, but uh, we've got to recognise that the Bible is ultimately about God and what he's done and what he's doing. So all those yous that you see, then you get down to verse 6 and you, you see the anointed there. May he save his anointed. And then... In verse 9, it's even more clear. O Lord, save the king. So this is a psalm that's addressed uh, about the king. It's it's addressed to God. Um, It's a prayer before God uh, to to protect the king before he goes into battle. Psalm 20 and 21 sort of go together. Psalm 20 is a prayer asking for protection for the king. Psalm 21 is a rejoicing over that victory. So it's a psalm of David and it's to the choir master. So this tells us that it was for the assembly of Israel to sing together. Um, so it's a, it's a prayer that was sung asking for protection of the king. I guess it's, it's probably similar to the, uh, the, um, the God Save the Queen, the British anthem written back in 1745. It's still their, their national anthem that says, God save our gracious queen, long live our noble queen, God save the queen. Send her victorious, happy and glorious. 
long to reign over us, God save the Queen. That's just the first verse, there's another four. But um, both of those are a prayer. Psalm 20 and God save the Queen, they're a prayer, they're addressed to God. They're asking for protection, for help from God, for victory. Um, Both of them express joy in salvation or the joy of victory. And both place trust in God alone, recognising that he is the one who can save. So as we look through this psalm, let's keep that in mind. It's a prayer written by David, a thousand years BC, for the people of Israel to be sung by them, asking for protection. And as we'll see later, um, it's, it, we look now to this as uh, a prayer for the greater king, the king of kings, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we go through, let's look at some of the things we can learn about God from this psalm. So in the first verse there, it says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. The day of trouble here often throughout the Old Testament indicates an invasion of a foreign army. The point here is the king's going off to battle and he needs God's help. He's asking Yahweh to help. Yahweh is the, the, Lord, the name of the Lord, where we see L-O-R-D in capitals, that's Yahweh. Yahweh had made Israel a nation. They'd, he'd brought them out of Egypt, he'd rescued them, and it was to them that they're praying. And um, may the Lord answer you. See, the people of Israel believed and, and knew and trusted that Yahweh was a God who hears and answers. This was in stark contrast to the, the idols of the nations around them. Um, just read a little bit from Jeremiah. If you want to flick there, you can. Jeremiah chapter 10. The, uh, the nations around Israel. This, this speaks about them. Hear the word the Lord speaks to you. Jeremiah 10. Thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens because the nations are dismayed at them, for the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked, worked with an axe at the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it can't move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. They can't speak. They have to be carried for they can't walk. Don't be afraid of them. They can't do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. Then it goes on, down in chapter 11, keeps going. Thus you shall say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It's he, God, Yahweh, who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of the waters in the heavens. It's like that song we read, isn't it? Who, who else could do all these things? God and it goes on and on I won't keep I won't keep going there but um, that's what the idols are like and we might say oh well people don't worship idols these days in our culture but here Jeremiah is attributing the creation to God God made everything and uh, I did a google search where did everything come from and of course everything comes up it's all science science is one of the gods of our age and um you know, I'm a science teacher, science is great, but um, we have to get the foundations right, don't we? And 
the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if we don't recognize his place, then we're going to get everything else wrong. And um, really, it's, it's of the worship of, of man, of, of mankind. If you read any scientific article about the origin of where things came from, you'll, you'll see these words, mystery, will come up a lot. Or, you know, we're, very, we're getting much closer to understanding how this all happened. It's, it's relying on, on man's wisdom. And we heard last week, didn't we, from Psalm 19, when Greg preached from that, that, um, you know, God, uh, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. So this God that we are, um, this psalm is addressed to is Yahweh, the creator of all things. And he hears and he speaks. He speaks through his creation and he speaks through his word. We, um, we heard that last week from Psalm 19. So the Lord hears. In the name of the, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. The name of the God of Jacob. Here the, the name is, is reputation, God's reputation, his character. It's not just that Yahweh is a nice sounding name. This goes along with everything that is God, who he is. Uh, see, God revealed himself to Jacob back in Genesis 28 and he made a covenant and he, he made a, a promise to Jacob. Three things. He promised him land, he promised him descendants and uh, he promised him uh, that he would be a blessing to all nations. And so the people are appealing to God here on the basis of his reputation, on his promises, on his character. Is this the way that we pray to God? If we want confidence that God's going to hear us, let's get to know his character and his promises. Let's pray in line with who he is. So the Lord hears and the Lord protects. Verse 2 says, May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Now, just a little bit about um, the the poetry here. This is, uh, all the Psalms are, are poetry. And there's a lot of parallelism in the Hebrew poetry. You find two lines that um, that add together to make the overall meaning. And this is repeating parallelism here, where they're not completely separate ideas, but they're they're the same idea. Um, so may he help you from um, sorry, may he send you help from the sanctuary. May he give you support from Zion. That's much the same thing. Send and give. Help and support, sanctuary and Zion, those all words kind of meaning the same thing. The sanctuary is, uh, is the word for holy. It's used 382 times in the Old Testament. Um, mostly it's translated holy. It means to be set apart. It means sacredness, holiness. Um, in this context, it's, it's referring to the tabernacle or the sanctuary. It's the center of worship. It's where Yahweh uh, where his presence was with his people. And Zion is, is Jerusalem, where the sanctuary was. It's the, Zion was the hill outside Jerusalem, but also means Jerusalem itself. So the people here are asking God to send help. Um, it, God's not confined to the sanctuary. That's, uh, he, he's, he's sending help out to them. Um, not everyone could go and approach the sanctuary 
uh, you know, the, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and there were severe restrictions on how, how uh, the people would approach the sanctuary. But God is able to help. He's not housebound. He's not stuck. He's able to help them. So the Lord hears. The Lord protects. That's who he is. He's a God who listens. He's a God who cares and helps. Verse 3, he's a God who accepts. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favour your burnt sacrifices. They're asking God to remember the offering of the king. They're appealing to God for his favour and his acceptance. There's two words there, one for offering, which is like a a gift or a tribute. Um, It's usually used as a grain offering. And the second one is a burnt offering, the whole, a whole burnt offering where an animal was sacrificed and burnt on the altar. And that's associated with the pardoning or the, the forgiveness of sin. Um, Leviticus 1 says that burnt sacrifices were made by the individual. Now this was um, a bit of a revelation to me this week actually. I, I tend to think that the priests made the sacrifice, but in Leviticus 1, each person or at least every every man in the um in israel was uh, at various times to bring a sacrifice and they would kill the beast not the priest the person would the individual and and they would cut it up into pieces and then the priest would help with the putting it on the altar and the burning of it um and, and so the king like every other person in israel would offer a burnt offering for his own sin as a graphic reminder of the consequences of sin and of the forgiveness um, that that God gives and and God's acceptance. But um, So here the people are praying that the king's offering would be accepted. Now, as the king, he's in a position of authority, a position of, of leadership, and so his actions affect the nation more than anyone else's, potentially. Um, we see an example of this in, in 2 Samuel 24. I'm not going to read through all that now, but uh, basically the story goes, David wants to has this idea, he's going out to battle, and he wants to count his army. And he approaches Joab. Joab's the commander of the army, and he says, Joab, can you go and count all my men? And Joab says, oh, I don't think this is such a good idea, David. And David says, yeah, no, go, off you go. And of course, David's authority trumps the commander of the army. He goes and counts them, 800,000 men in Israel and 500,000 in Judah. And immediately David realises that he's sinned. He's trusted in the arm of flesh and not in the Lord. And he cries out to the Lord for forgiveness. And, uh, and God gives him three options as a as a kind of a, a consequence, he says you can have three years of of uh, famine, or you can have three months of your enemies chasing you, or you can have three days of pestilence. And and David replies, and I love this quote. He says, "I'm in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercy is great. But let us not fall into the hands of men." And so God sends a, a plague, and it only lasts for a day or so, or a few days. And, um, and 70,000 men die. And then God commands David to build an altar at the threshing floor of Ornan 
And um, David pays the full price, even though he's offered it for free. He pays the full price. He says, oh, I'm going to buy the threshing floor. I'm going to buy the bull to sacrifice. And he does that. And he offers a burnt offering. And God takes away the angel with the sword. The angel puts his sword back in and, uh, and the people live in peace again. Yahweh accepted David's offering for his sin in that case. And so the point here is the, ki- the king's sinful actions can put the whole nation in jeopardy. And Yahweh's acceptance of the king's sacrifice can bring peace to the whole nation. So here the choir is, is singing, praying to Yahweh to accept the king's offering because it means his favour on them as a whole nation. So verse 4, we move on. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfil all your plans. In the context, the people would be asking here for, for Yahweh to give uh, the king victory in battle. Um, David went into battle having one desire, to defend God's people and the kingdom according to the covenant that God had made with them. So therefore, it's good for him to pray, may he grant you according to your heart's desire. David's desires were in line with God's. Um, David, you, you remember, you all know the story of David and Goliath. David knew and trusted uh, from a young age better than most of his fellow countrymen. When Goliath, the Philistine, was coming, uh, David, uh, you know, taunting and defying the, the Israelites, David fought with confidence. God had already told him that the Philistines were enemies of God. They were, they were uh, terrible practices were going on in the Philistines um, among them, and the Israelites were to go and take that land. And uh, and David took hold of the promises of God. So David's acting in response to what Yahweh had already revealed. He trusted God at His word. And, um, you know, we, a lot of this we can make a, a prayer for ourselves. Now we need to be a little bit careful, but if we, if we look at uh, a place like Psalm 37, which is written not, not to the king specifically, but to, to God's people in general, uh, it's, it's a reminder that the wicked will perish, that they're temporary, and it's a call for God's people to trust in the Lord. And there's a similar verse there in, in Psalm 37. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that's a promise that we can take, I think. If we put our desires in line with God, then we can pray with confidence. It's not that God's going to fulfill all of our plans if they're, they're not in line with him. If I just want a big house or if I want Collingwood to win or if I want to, thanks Chris, if I want to, um, you know, travel the world and, and spend my time and energy on pleasures or if I want to, you know, if I want a bucket list of things to tick off, God's not going to fulfill all those things. Example of Jonah. 
is, uh, is an example of not delighting in the things of the Lord. So Jonah didn't align himself with God's will. God said, go here. My heart is mercy for these people, this nation of Assyria. Go and speak to them and ask them, tell them to repent. Jonah says, no, I don't want to do that. And in the end, God's will was done. Jonah, uh, Nineveh repented. He had mercy on them. And the Lord didn't destroy them. And who was upset? Jonah was upset. He didn't delight in the Lord and he wasn't fulfilled in the end. And the, the end of every story, the story of every person who delights in the Lord, it'll never end in disappointment. We might have some disappointments along the way, but the end of the story will never be disappointment because the Lord will satisfy our desires if we line them up with his. Verse 5. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. This is a victory shout. I, I haven't grown up in war, thankfully. And... Um, some of you have been through some wars. I, I did write down here, I said, some of you remember the day in 1945, and then this morning I was looking at it, I'm mm, not sure actually too many people here do remember 1945, but uh, there might be one or two perhaps, I'm not sure. Um, but then when the day when, the, um, when Nazi Germany surrendered to the Allies, ending the horror of, of what was happening in Europe, the death of millions of people, at the hands of the Nazis. And, uh, and I was looking at some pictures on, on the internet, black and white pictures of the, the streets filled with people dancing and singing and, and holding up flags and, and singing and dancing. This is the picture here. It's a victory march for the Lord, celebrating that he has won the battle for them. Verse 6. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. There's a, a, a change in style here. They've been praying for the king to be protected. Now it, it's as if the victory's already been won. They're so confident that he's going to bring victory. And we turn from the crowd to, to just one. It's now I know. It's a little bit like that song we sing we sang this morning only a holy god uh and then in the second time we sang only my holy god i think it said it makes it personal you know so many people pray in times of trouble are you an individual that has confidence in the lord do you know personally his protection his salvation and trust that he he is the one that can save us from our troubles. So it turns from a, a prayer of pleading for help to a, a confident, confident assurance. Yes, we know that, I know that Yahweh will bring salvation. It's as good as done. The victory is His. And so then, verse 7, in whom do we trust? 
Some trust in chariots, some in horses. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. So Yahweh gave specific warning to his people back in Deuteronomy 17. He said, The king must not build up large stable of horses for himself or send people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. You know, David numbered his army and account all my soldiers. He showed a lack of trust in Yahweh, for which he then repented. So many times in the Old Testament, Yahweh defeated their enemies as the underdog, so to speak. Take the crossing of the Red Sea. Egypt comes with all the chariots. What does God use? <laughs> the, the river, the sea. Holds the sea back and then it floods over them. Or Jericho, they march around the city for seven days blowing trumpets while the people in Jericho laugh at them and then the walls fall down. Or the Amalekites who were defeated by Moses lifting up his hands on the mountain. Or Gideon and the Midianites started with 32,000 men. God said, no, it's too many. He takes them away. No, still too many, still too many. Gets down to an orchestra of 300 trumpet players. And they, they blast their trumpets and, and the people are so scared by them that they, they turn on each other and, and all flee and kill each other. Or David and Goliath, big strong Goliath, eight foot, nine foot, whatever he was, and little David, a shepherd boy with a sling and a stone. To trust in horses and chariots is to trust in mankind and it's, it's going to fail. Psalm 118 verse 8 says, It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. I find this challenging. Uh, For me, fear of man often prevents me from opening my mouth, uh, from saying what what I know I should. What is it for you? When are you most likely to trust in man rather than in God? I encourage you to share with, with each other uh, your struggles, if you, if you struggle with this, pray for one another. So, we've seen how this uh, relates to the original hearers and, and singers of this psalm and what it tells us about God, that he hears, that he protects, that he looks in favour upon those who, who worship him according to his, his ways that he gives of his heart's desire those who delight in him, that we are to trust in him. Let's have a look now at what it means as a prayer for the King of Kings. Because we live now, we don't have a king, we've got a queen, but we don't have a king, let alone a king that is a man after God's own heart. We're not living in the nation of Israel today. Uh, Yahweh made a specific covenant to that people and the king was God's chosen man. So do we pray this prayer to our queen, our prime minister, our premier? Verse 4 says, May he grant the desires of your heart. I don't want to pray that for all of our politicians. Their desires are not in line with God. We saw that on Friday night, didn't we? 
in the Parliament, 27 votes to 9. The, uh, the change and suppression bill that we mentioned earlier. A bill that criminalises the truth, speaking the truth about marriage and gender and sex. That God created the male and female. So let's be clear, we don't pray this prayer for our earthly kings or governments. We must pray for our governments, yes, we do. But we don't pray that all their desires will be fulfilled. We pray in line with what what Timothy said in 2 Timothy. It says, I urge that prayers, supplications, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and those who are in high position, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's why we pray for them, that we may live peaceful lives and that the truth may be known. So we don't pray this for our king or our government. Who do we pray for? Well, ultimately, we're under the new covenant and the king of kings is the Lord Jesus. He is the fulfilment of the Old Testament. It's all about him. So Psalm 20 is ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> That's what it says when it says there in verse 6, the anointed. Now the anointed doesn't always mean the Messiah, uh, the one that they were hoping for, that was coming, that God had promised. But uh, in this case, it is. This psalm is fulfilled in Christ. So in verse 1, when it says... May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. This relates to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said, All the Saviour's days were days of trouble, and he also made them days of prayer. The church joins his intercession with the Lord's, sorry, the church joins her intercession with the Lord's and pleads that he may be heard in his cries and tears. So we pray with, with Jesus. The glorious power of God defended and preserved the Lord Jesus through the battle of his life and death and exalted him above all his enemies. The day of trouble is not over, the pleading Saviour is not silent and the name of the God of Israel is still the defence of the faithful. And then verse 2, it says, help from the sanctuary. Well, where's the sanctuary now? We read from, Hans read from Hebrews 8 this morning where it says, We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honour beside the throne of the majesty in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, tabernacle or sanctuary, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. The true sanctuary is the very throne of God. This is where Jesus uh, is now seated. He's paid the price for sin once for all and that's where our help comes from. Uh, verse 3 may he remember all your offerings and burnt sacrifices we read in Peter that Christ suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous David made a sacrifice for his own sin Jesus made a sacrifice he had no sin a sacrifice for you and me so when we pray this psalm we're asking God to look with favour on the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. 
See, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. The sacrifice of bulls and goats is not sufficient to take away sin. It's a a reminder each year, as Hebrews said, of of the sins, uh, that sin is ever with us. It's not possible for blood of bulls to take away sin. That's why Christ came into the world, to be that sacrifice once for all. And it's interesting there that the the selah, which is like a little pause there, and Spurgeon writes about that, he says, it is well to pause at the cross before we march on to battle. And with the psalmist cry, Selah. We are too much in a hurry to make good haste. A little pausing might greatly help our speed. Stay, good man. There is a haste which hinders. Rest a while. Meditate on the burnt sacrifice and put your heart right for the stern work which lies before you. Verse 4, may the Lord fill all your petitions. What are Jesus' petitions? If he's the, the King of Kings, this psalm's talking about. Do you know the Lord is praying for us? He's interceding for us. Romans 8 says, Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. It says a similar thing in Colossians. You've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And what are God's petitions? What does he pray for? Well, I don't know exactly, but I guess Psalms, uh, sorry, John 17 is probably a, 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 gives us some indication. This is what Jesus prayed before he went to the cross, a few days before his death. He prayed just some things. He prayed in John 17, eternal life to all the Father would give him. He prayed for unity for his followers. He prayed for their perseverance in the faith. He prayed for protection from the evil one and from temptation. Prayed that uh, his people would be made holy in the truth, that they may be with Jesus where he is and that his love may be in them. So when we're praying Psalm 20, we're praying for ourselves because we're praying for God to fulfill the petitions of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 5 says, May we shout for the joy, for joy over your salvation. Over Christ's salvation. He's the one, we sing that song, Salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to Him. And we are part of it. And He saved us. And our joy, um, I heard a quote this week, our joy should be more contagious than the coronavirus. And uh, wouldn't that be wonderful? I wonder uh, how, if people can, can see our joy in, in our salvation, our joy in the Lord. I mentioned the war before, 1945. Uh, later, later in that year, after uh, the Nazis surrendered, the Japanese surrendered to the Allies. And again, there were great celebrations across the world and more, more, more so in Australia. The war in the Pacific had ended. There was a two-day holiday in the UK and America and, and Australia. And King George VI, who was the king at that time, he, pray, he, sorry, he addressed the nation and the empire from Buckingham Palace. And this is what he said. He said, our hearts are full to overflowing as are your own. Yet... There's not one of us who has experienced this terrible war 
who does not realize that we shall feel its inevitable consequences long after we've forgotten our rejoicings today. And isn't that like our joy? We know the victory has been won. We know that Christ has paid the price. We know that sin and death has been defeated. But just like the effects of the war go on long after the war is won, so the effects of sin and death are still felt by us in this world. We're still in the midst of the battle. And so who do we trust? We trust in the Lord, not in man. We trust in him for salvation and we trust him to bring about his kingdom of peace that he's promised. And if Jesus is the king, we pray for the furthering of his kingdom. He said, my kingdom is not of this world, otherwise I would fight, my servants would fight. It's an eternal kingdom, a kingdom we can't see and touch and feel. A few questions that I, um, just to finish off, a few questions that I asked myself um, as I, I wrote this and I invite you to ask. Um, as a church, as Mafra Community Church, how well are we trusting in the Lord? Jesus is the true King, the King of Kings. We are his subjects. Are we praying for God's kingdom to come on this earth? What about in Mafra? Across the nations? We're told he's gathering people from every tribe, language and nation. Are we expecting the gospel to bear fruit and opposition? Are we expecting God to add to our number those who are being saved? Are we worried about how we'll cope when uh, the Lord calls people to, uh, to other places? Do we share the gospel with the simple hope that God will change the hearts of those he calls? And the way we answer those questions will give us some indication as to the level of trust we have in the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that you hear the prayers of your people. We thank you that you are a God who made all things and you are the God who saves. Thank you for saving each one here who's called upon your name. If there's anyone here who has not or does not trust in you for salvation, we pray that you will draw them. We pray for each of us, Lord, uh, that you give us a greater trust in you and that your, your kingdom will continue to come uh, in, in great power on this earth as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.